Hello, and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm host, Reverend Mark Kiesling, and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We're here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we continue our short series on apologetics and discuss some specific worldviews our young people may encounter. We have discussed the basic parts of worldviews and the foundation of Christian worldview. Today, to wrap up this series on apologetics, Brad Alice and Joe Cox discuss a few worldviews that our young people may encounter in their daily lives. You may not see the names of the worldviews we discuss to be familiar. They may not be specifically named by your youth. However, they will probably recognize the beliefs in their friends or in the media. And as with our other episodes on apologetics, we will barely scratch the surface on all the main worldviews that exist or the world's religions that are in our world. However, through the discussion, I hope you appreciate the resources that are available and also that understanding these worldviews are important to God and to us because the people who have these worldviews and beliefs are important to God and to us. We hope and pray that we and our youth will be equipped to withstand challenges to our faith and share the gospel of Jesus with everyone. I was blessed this summer to get about two hours of Dr. Alice's and Pastor Cox's time, and we split the conversation into two episodes. In case you haven't heard the earlier episodes, let me give you short bios of our guests. Dr. Brad Ellis is an assistant professor of education at Concordia University, Wisconsin. He is a frequent Bible study teacher and speaker at local, state, and national youth gatherings, as well as youth worker, teacher, and pastor conferences. His family lives in Germantown, Wisconsin. Reverend Joe Cox is campus pastor and director of curriculum at Lutheran High School South in St. Louis, Missouri. He teaches English and theology and coaches the school's mock trial teams. Joe is married to Barb and they have two adult children. We're going to be looking at maybe some more kind of larger worldview pieces about how do we understand those? How do we understand maybe how it shapes the the world in which our young people live? Um, How we don't have to be fearful of that, but then how, again, we can respond in God's truth and his love for us. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Alice. I'm talking maybe a little bit, you mentioned it um, in our last conversation um, about kind of postmodernism, how that came out of and reaction to modernism, um, and maybe kind of where do we sit with maybe in this post-truth era in which we live, uh, whether that's on social media, whether that's wherever that's at, um, but maybe speak a little bit about postmodernism and how that affects our worldview and how it can, um, can creep into the lives of our young people. Yeah, so often we're exposed to different worldview thoughts and ideologies, and like a sponge, we just kind of soak them all in and we don't critically think through them. So just to understand some basic parts of, of, of postmodernism, we can, we can boil it down like this. There's a rejection of truth, absolute truth, or I like to say it like this, there's no capital T truth, all right? Mm-hmm. So there's no universal truth for everybody, anytime, anywhere. All that exists are small t truths. So if there's 50 people in a room, there's 50 small t truths. They're, they're subjective truth, their own truth but there's no overarching capital T truth for everyone. And so every worldview starts with an assumption. People have to grasp that. Again, God is or God isn't. Truth is or truth isn't. So this starts with the assumption there is no truth. And so that's one thing people have to grasp when they're talking to people. So if there's no truth, how do you know that's true? Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you can work through that that way. But you've got 50 people in a room with their truths. And so the battle cry is, that's true for you. It's just not true for me. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we can uh, help people think through what they're believing and then point them to scripture. And so, for example, we could say, so this person believes that Allah in Islam is God. And this person over here says there is no God. He's an atheist. 
And then I, as a Christian, say, God exists. He's triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We all have the truth. And so you can help people understand, okay, that bumper sticker really sounds good. That's true for you. It's just not true for me. Live your truth. Okay, it sounds really good. But now think through that critically for a minute. So the atheist is correct. There is no God. The Muslim is correct. Allah is God. And then the Christian is correct. God is not Allah. God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They, they all can't be true. And so that logical contradiction can't be accepted and and that's a way for us now to start witnessing to people saying, no, let me, let me show you what the truth is. Right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Another part of postmodernism is there's no meta narrative. There's no big story. Everything's up to you or the group that you're from. And these local stories talk about reality, but there's no, again, overarching story about all reality. And so that's something also people can bring up and, and you can ask questions, right? So is there something that explains everything for everyone? Nope, there's just your story, okay. And so you could, you could point out, okay, so if this is your story, all right, how does this fit in this larger narrative? Help them see, yeah, you've got your story, your life, God knows who you are and loves you and has a plan for you to be saved because there is going to come an end point to your life and then you'll be launched into eternity, either with the Lord in heaven or separated from him in hell. And to point out, no, there's a, there's a big story that you are actually a part of. You may not think you are, but you are. Mm-hmm. So God has wants you back in Christ because he loves you so much. Once again, it's something that we can really unpack, but... Um one element I think that's important to recognize is what's come alongside postmodernism. And this is a movement that's not just philosophical. It applies to um, literary analysis. It applies to architecture. And I'll use architecture as an example. Uh, that postmodernism, in a sense, uh, uh, in, in architecture tries to strip away the facade. So for example, a postmodern building, you're going to go in and you're not going to see a nice polished ceiling. You're going to see, uh, the rivets and the rafters and all that. And the idea is, um, that claims of this meta narrative or claims of truth are really means of oppression and means of controlling people. And so postmodernism tries to to deconstruct, to pull away that. And so the very nature of postmodernism is going to be um, an attack on anything that purports to be true, which would include truth itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's very much part of the fabric in which all of our entertainment on one level or another um, as Dr. Ellis says, it's just part of that fabric of, of the air we breathe and who we become. And so we're wrestling with this, not just in terms of people who have been formed by intentional postmodernists, but just by virtue of the world and the culture we live in today, these presuppositions that we don't even recognize exist and, and are accepted to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you see it in so many parts of our world. Like, and, and, you know, I try to think about what would I be going through if I were a young person today, but just, I mean, there's so much, even just think of our news. I mean, there used to be, you know, news was the truth, those facts. And now you even got to pick the right news source you're going to get in terms of kind of how it fits maybe your preconceived notions or uh, just the, the, the personalities you might like or whatever that kind of stuff. So even like for someone outside of the church, 
doesn't have, you know, scriptural understanding or people helping them with this is that even in just our everyday world, that whole concept of truth and where do you go to, it seemed like a really tricky issue. Now, one thing I'd, I want to maybe see if you have a, a response to this, just to help the, understand the context of postmodernism. I always appreciate uh, one of my mentors would often talk about, you know, something like postmodernism and they'd say, you know, uh, appreciate postmodernism for the questions it brings up, but we just don't necessarily like the answers that it gives to those questions. So what, maybe can you say a little bit about what was postmodernism reacting to in modernism that maybe even we as Christians would say modernism went too far or some things that we would be concerned of in that whole concept of modernism? Any thought on that in terms of where some, there might be some things to say, this is actually a good question to ask, uh, but yet we got scripture to point them to for the, the, the answer to that question. Oftentimes, the way it's the way I've understood it is, in a sense, postmodernism really starts to come into its own, uh, in part in reaction to World War One. Mm -hmm. Modernism mm -hmm. assumed that we had reason and rationale down to, mm -hmm. again, pun intended, a science. Right, right. And what World War One revealed was, instead of making the world better and moving us towards utopia we just found better ways to kill more people mm -hmm. in more heinous ways. Mm -hmm. And so this concept that we're capable of saving ourselves through our own mastery of reality vis-a-vis uh, -vis reason and science isn't enough to really fix the problem. Um, Gene Veith, I know uh, in, in one of his books on postmodernism refers to um, some architecture that was designed um, to help some of the poor areas uh, of uh, an urban area. And so the perfect buildings were constructed to create places for people to move into. And what they really became were poverty traps. Mm -hmm. We thought that we could fix everything through our reason. It, there's a deeper spiritual reality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that scientism and, and modernism just failed to um, speak to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the human condition that yes. uh, we're, we're sinful, fallen people, that's unique to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And everybody's battle cry, we're basically good, neutral at worst. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not what we see. I, I didn't have to teach our daughters to be sinful. <laughs> it just came <laughs> out. Right? And so that, again, it's the correspondence theory of truth. This fits facts, logic, reality. The truth fits the facts. This is the way it is. And so as the horrors of World War I, World War II go on, here's this movement that just, just rejects it all and says, no, there is no truth. And these are all power plays of uh, those in power trying to oppress those who are marginalized. And, and it continues on to this day. So, yeah, we've been swimming in this and, and we absorb this. But to, to think critically through when people say things, that's... That's, that's vital. That's vital for us to pass on to our kids along, obviously, most importantly, with the Word of God. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's going to be, it might be, you'll get offshoots of postmodernism, but more philosophical thoughts are going to come in approaching um, our young people. And maybe even, again, with now the technology and stuff, it's not, you know, a time it made, there would have been an overwhelming swell of a movement like postmodernism. Now you can get hit by so many different <laughs> frameworks and worldviews at one time to where it's not even necessarily as simple to name them or to put them into context. So being able to help young people think critically and ask good questions and point back to the word of God is so important. And so uh, Dr. Alice, I'm gonna go to another one that you presented, I know here at least at the International Center, 
um, at our Making Disciples for Life conference. I'm sure you have in many other contexts well as well. And that was secular humanism. And so where do we see that in our world? Um, how do we understand it? How do we point people to scripture? How do we help our young people diagnose it? Um, and then also be able to confess Christ as we uh, wrestle with secular humanism in our world. And I guess I'll start with the basic question, what is it? Yeah. So in secular humanism, some people talk about humanism, this idea that there is no God, but man's the measure of all things. So the assumption is there's no God. Reality is just com comprised of matter and stuff. There is no supernatural realm. When it comes to ethics, there's no moral absolutes because there is no God. So moral relativism is, is the key. We each decide for ourselves right and wrong. And when it comes to the answers that everyone has regarding origin, purpose, and destiny, we're evolved animals who really have no purpose in life and eventually die. That's mm -hmm. it. Right? So it's it's brutally stark in its in its worldview, but there's issues, and that's what people have to understand. So some of the things we can help people do is as we're equipping our kids, as we're equipping all of our, our church members to interact with people is to ask questions. And so sometimes these basic questions are things like this. What do you mean by that? How do you know that? And then what if you're wrong? All right. Mm -hmm. So so questions of definition. What do you mean by that? All right. Questions of authority. How do you know that? Where'd you get that from? All right. And then finally, a question of consequence. What if you're wrong? And so the idea that there's no God, how do you know that? How do you know that there's no God? All right. So we, we, we talked about evidences of the resurrection and, and the reality of, of the reliability of scripture. So you could move people in a direction that way, because here's why you could argue, no, there is a God, right? When it comes to there's just a natural realm. So there's no supernatural realm not in, in secular humanism. So again, to point out, if matter is all that there is, and we talked about this earlier with the Big Bang, where did immaterial thought come from? Where does, where does beauty come from, right? right? right. Uh, logic, all, where do these things come from? And so there's no supernatural realm. Uh, when it comes to the demonic, when it comes to the miraculous, um, a biblical worldview can make sense of the world around us. And so what I like to do is to point people to evidences outside the scripture for supernatural events, right? And so uh, uh, A&E, for example, their channel uh, had a, a, a series called The Unexplained, and they had a 20-minute segment on the true story of the exorcist. And so when when you hear the story, here's evidence. And our seminary in St. Louis has some of this information as well about a, a boy who was possessed. Now, a biblical worldview can explain that. There is a supernatural realm. But when you rule that out, that everything is just a closed system, well, it, it's going to leave people wanting. They're going to say, no, wait a minute. This doesn't mm -hmm. make sense, right? Moral relativism sounds good. Hey, we should just be able to decide right and wrong ourselves. But if that's how we're going to live, those who are powerful will take advantage of others. And it's not wrong. Right. It's just the way it is, right? So again, you can't, you can't live that way. It sounds good, but you can't live that way. And ultimately, origin, purpose, destiny. We're evolved animals with no purpose and who are going to die. Have a nice day. <laughs> so, there's, there's, there's a search for meaning that all of us right, have. Right. And that's why I, what we can do in apologetics is help people understand Christianity is intellectually satisfying, mm -hmm. but it's spiritually satisfying. Right. All right. And so it can, can meet your needs on a lot of different levels. Yeah, there, there's definitely no proof to this. So I'm not trying to make a statement that, um, trying to make a scientific approach, uh, approach to this, but like that is one of the things that I, I get just make, makes my, you know, my gut wrenches over 
uh, seeing the suicidal rates in young people today. And I just wonder, man, I, you know, was there someone there to speak to them to the meaning of life? And that already at that age, if that's being taken away from them because of maybe some of these worldview things that that's one of those beautiful things of Christianity. We hope our Christian young people are speaking into the lives of those young people too, yeah. to say like, I know a meaning of life because of what my creator God has given to me. Um, and I, and I think it can be powerful. I think it seems so simple to us as Christians, but I think we discount when it may be a worldview like that is working on the lives of a young person outside the church and just what that word of hope and meeting can bring to somebody, that there is a purpose, God has a design for them and they're loved. Um, and well, that can be that beautiful thing that a young person needs to hear. Uh, Pastor Cox, anything else on that secular humanism? Uh, no, I think that was covered really well. Um, I think it's interesting that going back to our previous conversation about the problem of evil yeah. and why bad things happen, oftentimes there is no answer and all we can offer is the hope. And so you mentioned those young people, if you strip away the hope, you're just offering them another system that has no answers and the the depression, the the being overwhelmed in which they find themselves maybe shouldn't be surprising. Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but what a powerful testament that what Christianity has to offer by being upfront when we don't have the answer right. for why bad things are happening to you. But I can point you to an answer that transcends your current pain. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And even going back to like Dr. Manuja's statement too, is that even when we can't have the perfect logical argument for something we have Jesus right. <laughs> we can point to Jesus that there's something bigger uh, than this, than my, my inability to explain everything perfectly, but I can still rest in Christ that he has the answers and he is the answer I should say uh, to all those things. Um, so uh, again, you, and you can make the connections without going into deeply, you know, those connections in secular humanism between postmodernism thought and modernism, modernism thought too about that. We thought we had the answers. We thought humans could figure this out. We thought we had the answer to evil and we, we don't. Um, and so uh, how that points us to Jesus. I know Dr. Cox, you and I talked about this a little bit, I think when, when we were together for the last time we record the first episode, um, talk a little bit about Gnosticism mm -hmm. um, and now maybe neo-Gnosticism that is returning. Um, this is something that the Christian church has been dealing with <laughs> since the beginning of Christianity. Um, certainly we look to uh, Apostle John and a lot of his writings into the scene already in that early Christian church. This was something that they had to, uh, again, Greek philosophy and other things to, to talk about. So maybe give a quick definition of Gnosticism and maybe in some really key day-to-day -day issues around um, our body and other things that are taking place and how that maybe creeps into our worldview today. Sure. Well, the term Gnosticism, and, and you can't hear it, but there's a silent G at the beginning, really comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And the idea behind it was that one had to attain some sort of secret knowledge in order to find true salvation. And unpacking that, and again, it, it um, manifested itself in many different ways. So for example, there was an, an early heretic by the name of Marcion who would argue that there were really two gods. Mm -hmm. And the Old Testament God is the creator God, and, and he's the, the evil, horrific God. And the New Testament God is the one who is... Um, is all loving, but behind that is the belief in Gnosticism that the material world is at the very least undesirable, if not just completely evil, and that uh, the material world exists by accident. And again, the ancient um, explanations for this have a more supernatural tone. Mm -hmm, the more mm -hmm. uh, modern explanation for this is as simple as the Big Bang Theory. Uh, it was just an accident. It was just something that happened. But the idea is that ultimately 
the inner experience of a human being is that which is good or true or noble. And the outer experience is, if not ignoble, at least undesirable or meaningless. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways I see this manifesting is particularly in an emphasis in the splitting of the human being. We know mm -hmm. from Genesis chapter one that we bear the image of God mm -hmm. um, and that when God creates mankind, God creates uh, man in the image of God, male and female, he makes them. Our very identity, what we might refer to in our in our current context as our sexual identity as male or female, is bound up in the image of God uh, that we have. Now, go back. 40 years or so, and you've got people who are trying to come up with something new. Yes, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but mm -hmm. uh, to complete their dissertations. And, and, and so they start taking linguistic language yeah. and a term gender, which had to do with just the form of, of a word in many languages and started applying that to human beings as a way of separating the inner and outer manifestations of our sexuality. We are holistic beings. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I am a man through and through by God's design. And the argument is, well, it's what's inside that matters, not what's outside. Mm -hmm. And so then came the argument that one might look like a man on the outside, but truly be a woman on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, and so we now have this reality of, of dealing with uh, the concerns that are raised in, in issues of transgenderism. And now even going beyond that where you can come across so many different labels as trying to in some way separate the whole person mm -hmm. into distinct categories mm -hmm. um, that it's an unraveling of the person and really becomes an attack on the image of God, mm -hmm. which in turn, mm -hmm. any attack on one bearing the image of God is an attack on God himself, Genesis 9. Um and so that's where we have this manifestation is it's not so much looked at as a supernatural thing, but that what's on the inside is what counts. What's on the outside doesn't matter. And so today, if I feel uh, like a girl, then by golly, I'm a girl. All of the appearance with reality, notwithstanding. Um, I think one of the most important things is to to go back to just essentially uh, your birth certificate. You're born and the doctor writes male or female. How? Okay. The easiest way to do that is by looking at the genitalia, but it's not the genitalia that makes one male or female. That's merely the manifestation of one's maleness or femaleness. And so we have to keep that in mind as we approach this modern day or this neo-Gnosticism that tries to separate who we are into bits and pieces and recognize that we are whole people. Last thought on that, the way this has um, wormed its way into the church so easily is think about how often um, even well-meaning Christians see death as kind of the end. The body goes mm -hmm. in the ground, mm -hmm. the right. soul goes to heaven, and we mm -hmm. sit around mm -hmm. right. strumming on right. spiritual harps in the clouds. And here's where that doctrine of the resurrection, mm -hmm. which we proclaim every Sunday in the creeds, is so important is to recognize, no, God created us body and soul, called it good, good. Mm -hmm. And that will be the restoration in the end that the body is no more ignoble than the soul, but both combined make us who we truly are. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to uh, turn a little bit maybe now and talk about uh, world religions a little bit. Um, I know uh, one book that is helpful uh, that Dr. Alice can speak to a lot of is uh, Starting at the End. Um, that that's uh, one book in which uh, I believe, Dr. Alice, you kind of look at world religions and worldviews and kind of go again to that new creation or to that end uh, goal of the religion and kind of work it back from there, either the fallacies that you can see, the logical fallacies, um, but also then speak to the truth of, of Christian understanding. Again, when we talk about religions that have been a part of our world over centuries, sometimes maybe only decades, but things that uh, certainly come from either religious leaders or uh, maybe areas of the world uh, for there might be historical reasons around uh, where they grew and maybe had power and authority in other places. Um, we could talk again about this for a long time. Um, I'm sure uh, on your college campus there you have world religions and I'm sure you do it at the high school uh, level as well. That can be a long semester class to talk about uh, but I just want to maybe talk about one, Dr. Alice, that comes up a lot. We had a, a campus ministry conference here earlier this summer, um, and uh, Adam Francisco came and talked about Islam, and certainly one that he gets, he's an expert in it, but gets brought and asked a lot to talk about it. And he talked about how it's more and more on college campuses um, that we've seen. And so maybe to talk a little bit as maybe in our high schools, um, in our communities that our young people um, have uh, Muslim friends, and we'll be able to share the gospel with them, but maybe give us a little primer on how you can encourage our young people and help them understand uh, their friends' beliefs and worldview. Absolutely. So with Islam, you're going to see that it's it's running with uh, parallels to what a, a biblical worldview is. So its assumption is God exists, all right? So they're theists as Christians are. So there's common ground there. It's not like a secular humanist who says there is no God. And when it comes to reality, they also believe, as we do, that there's a natural and a supernatural realm. So again, it's not like a secular humanist who says, no, there's just a natural realm. There's no supernatural. Uh, the the uh, the Muslim will say, yeah, there's Allah and there are angels and there are uh, evil angels or jinn. We get the idea of a genie from that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so we can kind of talk a similar language and the like. It's not the same God. It's not the same religion, but at least you're using common terminology. When it comes to ethics, they believe in moral absolutes like we do. Uh, it's not moral relativism as a secular humanist would. Uh, and the idea of creation is their origin. Uh, now, it's interesting in the Quran, there's verses that say Allah created in six days, Allah created in eight days, all right? So that's a contradiction, but it's just kind of glossed over and, and not dealt with. Uh, and so our purpose here is to serve Allah and submit to his will according to Islam. And then finally, uh, there will come a judgment. And uh, if you've done the five pillars, so you must confess there is no God but Allah and Muhammad's the prophet. You've got to make a pilgrimage, if you're able, to Saudi Arabia, uh, to Mecca and Saudi Arabia once in your life. Fast during the holy month of Ramadan, during daylight hours. Pray five times a day during, uh, uh, pray five times a day facing Mecca. And then to give uh, two and a half percent of your income as alms or, or offerings. So those are the five pillars. And if you do those things, you're not guaranteed salvation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if Allah wills, he'll receive you into paradise uh, in the end. And so if people know just some basics about what Muslims believe, develop a relationship with uh, uh, Muslim students or people in the neighborhood and talk to them about the things in their life. And then eventually pray that, like in Colossians 4, God would open a door so you can witness. And so the key will be just to talk about what you believe and listen to what they believe. One of the best things you can do, and Dr. Francisco has talked about this, is is 
make sure that you're familiar with the Quran. You can read it. I've read it myself, right? But offer your Bible to uh, a Muslim and say, uh, hey, have you ever read the Bible? And they probably haven't. And just encourage them to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the Gospels. And as Dr. Francisco points out, God, the Holy Spirit will go to work. Right? <laughs> right. And so uh, they, they may have heard of Isa, and that's what Jesus' name mm -hmm. is in, in the Quran, but they don't, they don't know him. And so uh, it's amazing how God, the Holy Spirit, brings people to faith when they understand who Jesus is. He's not just a prophet as in Islam, but he's God, the Son of God. But develop relationship, listen, and, and, and share your thoughts. But again, let people hear that message because you're never guaranteed salvation in Islam. You can do the five pillars. There's no guarantee you're getting to, to paradise. The joy of knowing you are forgiven and that you, you will go to heaven because of what Jesus did for you, that certainty is a blessing that you can pass on to, to anyone, but especially someone coming from Islam. I don't know if you have any response to this. One thing I was uh, reading recently about uh, was some seeing some growth in Islam, I think especially maybe in Western Europe, um, uh, especially among, amongst men um, was something they're writing about. And they're talking about how Muslims, similar to Christianity, as we talked about, maybe an opposition to neo-Gnosticism and some other things, gives purpose to life. Mm -hmm. It gives structure to life. Um, and so it gives really very focused direction uh, for people on how to live. Um, if you saw a young person starting to buy into that and really getting curious, or maybe like you might see a, a one of your Lutheran youth starting to date someone who's maybe a Muslim, and they're they're attracted to that, uh, and maybe they haven't exactly developed an understanding, maybe from a Christian perspective of where that discipline and meeting comes through. Is there anything that you would say that would say like, well, Christianity has that as well, and this is what maybe a devotional life looks like? I mean, anything that you would say in reaction to those five pillars? Um, that we do as Christians. Yeah, my, my question would be, if there's an attraction to that, uh, to what end? Is it is it an appeal to, to my pride that I can mm -hmm. check these things off mm -hmm. and uh, now I've done this? And so again, the ball's in my court and I'm taking care of myself as opposed to understanding it's by grace received, it's not mm -hmm. by works. So no one can boast. We bring nothing to the table mm -hmm. and, and the Lord... In his, in his love and mercy has provided that solely through what Jesus has done. And so that would be my question, because there is that, that element that's attractive. This is what you got to do. This is going to be a disciplined life. This is going to be a good life for you if you do these things, right? But why am I doing those things? And so again, both, religi or both religions, Christianity and, and Islam, have this moral uh, code to it that's similar, but one is trying to enable you to save yourself, where the other one says, no, this law points out your sin and you've got to rely on Christ and Christ alone. Yeah, and I love, you know, we're heading this and that that discipline and that reaction that becomes a response to all <laughs> the goodness. And the part that Islam doesn't give is we get the assurance of, again, forgiveness of sins, life eternal, um, and also the, the resurrection that we, we know that, that the tomb is empty um, in Christ. Dr. Cox, or Pastor Cox, anything on, on uh, Islam? So along those same lines, one of the things, and maybe this is uh, poking our own eye a little bit, is when I find students that see something in there, um, is it because Islam oftentimes presents itself as unrelenting? 
And, and I don't mean that in um, an attacking kind of way, but in a sense that you can't help but encounter someone who's genuinely a practitioner of Islam and doubt the sincerity mm-hmm. of what they believe. Mm-hmm. And, and I think to some degree, uh, we Christians have become so enculturated by our society that maybe we aren't always living a life that our students, our young mm-hmm. people see. And, and maybe it's because it's in quiet and, and so they don't necessarily see mm-hmm. me doing my private devotion, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they don't see me doing is living in such a way that I seem to be truly mm-hmm. living out what mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that we need to take seriously as a church as well without crossing the line into legalism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because there is that grand distinction. The, the one thing that Christianity brings that any other worldview lacks is salvation by grace alone. Everything else, your salvation, however salvation is defined, is based upon your actions, your your behavior, your thoughts, mm-hmm, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's take seriously that Sometimes what our young people are seeing is an acceptance that um, interacting with genuine faith Mm -hmm. means that my life is going to be transformed and I am going to live as an alien Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. world, Mm -hmm. as Peter tells us. And maybe we need to be open to the fact that sometimes we're not alien enough Mm -hmm. um, in terms of either accommodating culture or having been accommodated to it. Uh, great. Well, we could talk about a lot of world religions um, on a lot of different things. And certainly is it uh, our young people have so much access to learn about this too. And so uh, again, just be able to, to point back and, and know that there's great res- Christian resources out here to talk about these things too. One thing is just a, kind of a general one, maybe a doctor also go to you too. Um, we've talked about atheism a lot, um, existence of God um, as a thought structure and a worldview. What are maybe some of the things that our young people will encounter and we'll be able to help them understand, okay, that comes from a worldview where it says there is no God. We've talked about some of them about certainly secular humanism, um, around morality. Are there other things that you would uh, just be able to have, uh, young people have as kind of a trip in their mental process to say like, yep, I've heard this before. This is atheism. This is where I know uh, it's not true because we have a um, uh, triune God. Any thoughts on that, Dr. Alice? Yeah, the there's a... The, the growth in nuns, those who are atheist, yes. agnostic, no religious affiliation, is kind of kind of tabled off now. But one out of five Americans, 21, 22 uh, percent, are going to identify as as none. And, mm-hmm. and so it could be atheist, agnostic, no religious affiliation. And so that's going to be a, a game changer in culture moving forward. Because it, when you listen to Pew and Gallup and other polling organizations, uh, those uh, people, specifically atheists, very politically involved, very interested in moving the country in, in a certain direction. And so with atheism, there's no God. It is just a natural world. We decide for ourselves right and wrong, right? And so th- those things you'll be able to, to recognize, but also to understand, and it ties really into the cultural Marxism, which is also atheistic at its core, mm-hmm. If there's problems in the world, it's not our sinful human nature. Christianity stands alone and says, you know what the problem is in the world? Look in the mirror. Okay. <laughs> we're the only ones who say that. Everybody else says, again, we're, we're good or neutral at worst. So 
when you, you have people who have got an atheist mindset who are trying to improve uh, the culture here in the United States, what's the problem? It's the oppressor versus the oppressed. And part of the oppressor class are Christians. So we're viewed as the problem. And so to understand, you're going to see a lot of that where there's quote unquote Christian privilege or this idea of Christian oppression. So the terminology, the things that are posted, the, the things that are said, uh, it, it all flows from that. You, you, you understand there's problems in the world. Well, if we're not as sinful human beings responsible, it's got to be those people. And that's part of atheism that you'll see here in the United States, specifically in cultural Marxism mm -hmm. and this idea of oppressor versus oppressed. Great. Well, is there any last encouragement? Um, I know you got to speak about some resources in the first episode. I don't know if anything new came up this summer or any maybe new books that you're excited about that are coming out or any last encouragement for uh, youth practitioners, youth ministry practitioners who are thinking about apologetics, getting these questions from their young people um, or words of encouragement that you'd give them as they dive into the practice of apologetics. I know I, I just encourage people to let your kids know that they're free to ask anything. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, if you don't have the answer off the top of your head, that you'll research it and get back to them as soon as you can. It might be next week. It might be uh, that, that you meet separately and, and uh, just gather for you know, a, a cup of coffee or whatever it is and, and just talk it through. But the reality is um, when kids know because it's just part of their developmental process. They're going to have questions. Do I really believe this? Do I, mm -hmm. do I, do I uh, uh, receive or do I accept what I received uh, through um, my upbringing, what the church has taught? Do I really own it? Um, it's okay for them to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so give them opportunities. And, and uh, if you don't know, research it and get back to them and let them know there's a great place where you can gather because we're all doubting Thomases. We all have our moments <laughs> of weakness. All right. Great. Thank you. Pastor Cox. I, I just echo that. Recognize that, um, especially in youth ministry, I think one of the key aspects is recognizing we're walking together with the youth. And when we invite them into that pilgrimage, rather than just simply trying to be the guy on top of the mountain who has all the answers, mm -hmm. I think we're going to find that God's word kind of has this transformational aspect as, as we're in the word mm -hmm. and wrestling with these questions and genuinely hearing the questions with compassion and being very careful to not just simply write somebody off because they're asking the hard question um, and, and to recognize that that struggle is real and again, to really show compassion, to suffer with them as they go through that wrestling time uh, and we're sharing God's word with them, we're going to find amazing things happen as the love of the church is used by God to transform his children. Yeah. We're so thankful for so many of you who are willing to dive into this topic, uh, the many questions that come from young people and to be, again, that warm place that they can ask that and be pointed to the truth um, and also to be connected to resources that uh, help you give, again, that that uh, strong word and strong food that we receive from Christ in his word um, and be able to know his truth and love for us. Um, again, thank you, Dr. Alice. Thank you, Pastor Cox, for uh, these times over these episodes of helping us get into the word and be able to explain the Christian faith to young people in our congregations. It's been a joy. Thank you. Well, that's a lot. 
a lot of conversations, probably, again, just a little bit of information. Sorry that maybe uh, my questions didn't keep us on a very uh, systematic approach maybe to it. Um, certainly did not get into all the questions that our young people could be asking or all the worldviews that they might encounter. But hope this is just a little piece to maybe whet your appetite and point you to resources that are available to continuing that ongoing conversation that we have around Christian apologetics. And through it all, as we discuss with Dr. Manuja's essay, uh, through it all, we do not put the practice of apologetics over Christ um, and our relationship with him. Um, and that, again, that these uh, these practices, this study serves, uh, again, our, our, our faith in Jesus, um, not the other way around. And so that we really uh, put our trust and hope that the Holy Spirit will work in the lives of our young people and also their friends as they maybe encounter these questions um, and then also hear the word of God that it takes root in their lives. Here are just some closing questions on this episode and the last episode, as well as we wrap up our time on apologetics. What questions are your young people asking that the practice of apologetics could help answer? Secondly, what apologetic resources does your church have that could be put into the hands of young people? What apologetic resources could your church consider providing for young people as they face worldviews present in their world? Thirdly, how can we challenge young people to think critically about worldviews they encounter? And finally, and this, these questions are reflecting on your congregation's capacity to walk alongside young people as they face questions and other worldviews. One, how can you show thanks to people who serve young people by providing them a listening ear, words of wisdom, and pointing them to Jesus? Secondly, if you think your congregation needs growth in that area, how might studying apologetics increase the capacity for them to listen well and dive into God's word? We will continue to keep you in our prayers as you open the scriptures with young people, love them as Christ loves you, and point them to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We give thanks for you and your desire to patiently walk alongside youth in these transformational years, giving them a spiritual foundation built on their baptism and fed by God's word. End Goals Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Music